Hi, I'm Rob Knight, the host of Your Itinerary for Travel and Photography. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by iFi. Point, shoot, iFi. Try it for free at twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O slash iFi. TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners save time billing and get paid faster. Sign up for free at freshbooks.com and join over 5 million users running their businesses with ease. This is TWIP, episode 439, OK, Do This. Model Mayhem is a leading portfolio website for professional models and photographers. Using the popular freemium model, the service allows people to create profiles, upload photos, and connect with other professionals for real-world shoots. However, many of the people using the service know that relying on Model Mayhem could bring a bit of mayhem to your shoot. Namely, flakiness or the tendency of some people to just not show up for a gig. Not only is this behavior unprofessional, but it impacts everyone involved with said gig. Luckily, it looks like Model Mayhem has been listening and has put in place a credit system it hopes will help wash those flakes away. Also in this episode, one of TWIP's newest advertisers, iFi, has acquired OK Do This, an app I had the pleasure of discussing with the company's co-founder and my friend, Jeremy Cowart, back in TWIP Talks episode number four. In today's show, the panel and I chat about the placement of OK Do This within iFi and the greater social photo sharing ecosystem. And be sure to listen all the way to the end of this episode for a quick interview I did with a somewhat unconventional TWIP sponsor, Stride Health. It's Monday, November 16th, 2015, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, very interesting show, lots of cool topics that I'm interested in, as if I'm not interested in every topic we talk about on every <laughs> every episode of TWIP. But on this show, there are things that I'm really, really, really interested in. But joining me to talk about these topics are Mr. Martin Bailey and Don Komarechka. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Very good, Frederick. How about yourself? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Like we were talking about in the in the green room before I started rolling here, I'm in the pre the pre international travel neurosis period <laughs> where I'm packing and unpacking and you know, I'm trying to make the perfect camera bag. I don't want to get to Vietnam and like figure out that I forgot some crucial piece of gear that I wish I could, you know, I wish I brought. And then I don't want to bring the whole gear locker with me as well so i'm in that i'm in that mode right now it's crazy it's crazy but good to have you guys on martin i know you're you're running around the world all the time and as we said in the green room you take three lenses with you that's it now you go yeah yeah now i mean that's that's my downsizing i've i've managed to managed to get my kit down to an 11 to 24 24 to 70 and 100 to 400 for most of the time so it's it's good it's been liberating even without going to mirrorless yeah, but see, that's the part of me. Part of me is just like, 
do, do I want to be liberated or do I want to have options? <laughs> well, well, I, that's I, that for me is giving still giving me options. I, I've gone, I go from eleven to four hundred millimeters now yeah, with three lenses. Yeah, so covered. it's great. It's uh, it's all good. We live in yeah. a wonderful age. Yeah, the age of choice. But you know, that's that whole. Sometimes choice isn't awesome. And no, I'm not a communist. But sometimes having having choice is paralyzing, which is where I am right now. Don, what about you, man? When you're when you're running around taking pictures around the world, what do you, what do you have in your bag? Well, you know, I, I love the setup that Martin has, and I wish I could stick to it. Uh, but I I always end up spilling over, and you know, I'll bring my macro lens with me. I will bring my fisheye lens with me. I will bring my a separate body that I use for infrared photography. And then by the time I add in all sorts of other little bits and pieces, you know, I got the kitchen sink in my bag anyhow. So the, the whole like exercise Charlie was Brown. useless. You're like Charlie Brown going camping. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much, man. Come on. Oh. I, but, you yeah. know, I, I try to slim it down as much as I can to fit it into a, uh, a messenger bag that kind of fits by my side. It's a nice little leather bag that's not a camera bag um, that I've put in some inserts to divide up the gear properly mm. um, so that it's, you know, I, I do a lot of traveling in Eastern Europe and I'm a little bit cautious about where I'm flashing my camera gear around. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, you know, I... I fit as much of it as I possibly can inside that bag. It's bulging like it looks like we're traveling and I've got a bag full of dirty clothes because we're backpacking across Europe kind oh, of thing. Yeah. And and so, you know, people are none the wiser until I pull out the expensive gear. But uh, I wish, I wish I could narrow it down farther. Yeah, I'm I'm excited because I'm, <clears throat> I'm heading out on this trip with that everyday messenger camera bag that, uh, you know, that Kickstarter that Peak Design and Trey Ratcliffe did. So that's my bag. And then a couple of weeks ago, I pulled the trigger and bought the new Lumix, Panasonic Lumix GX8, which is, you know, their one of their flagship Micro Four Thirds cameras. So been shooting with it over the last couple of weeks to get used to it. But, you know, I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to go take some pictures. <laughs> All right, guys, enough about me. Let's dive into the show. Story number one is about model mayhem. So if you shoot models or you are a model, you probably know about model mayhem. They're a service they're kind of like the Facebook for models and photographers and makeup artists where you can go and say, hey, I need a model on this day. You can put out a casting call. People respond to you. You pick one. And so the story should go. The model shows up <laughs> and you do the job. But as model mayhem, so, you know, and everyone else that has used the service knows sometimes it doesn't always go that way. Nine times. I don't know if it's nine times out of ten, but a lot of the time the model doesn't show up and you end up trying to scramble to figure out how to complete the job. But and other folks say, well, you get what you pay for. You should have gone to an agency to get a proper model, you know? So there's those kinds of things. So what model mayhem is doing is they've introduced something called verified credits. And essentially what it is, is a system to give what they're saying. And I'm reading from the show notes here to give more credence to the claims of the users on the site. It allows users to rate each other as if they've, if they've worked together, they can sing the praises uh, from previous people that gave them credits or previous credits. And the credits must be verified and accepted by the other party. You'll be able to view how many times users have worked together, when the collaboration took place, what their experience have been to a certain extent, and it will allow them to obviously strengthen their professional network. All, but by the way, this story comes to us from our friends over at SLR Lounge. But this is interesting. And I, I've, tr I've tried to use Model Mayhem several times, and it's been about kind of like a 50-50 hit or miss, maybe 75-25, with 75 being miss in terms of, <laughs> you, you know, it's almost like dating. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> 
but Don, Don, have you used Model Mayhem at all? And are you familiar with the service? I'm familiar with the service. I've never used it. I, I don't photograph models uh, in, in yeah. my professional work. But uh, the interesting thing about this is I think that it's something that is sorely needed uh, because, it, for one, I mean, you've got photographers who could be just about anybody uh, and they're they're asking for these models to come for a shoot, maybe a makeup artist as well. And you might be weary about the, the person who you're about to uh, engage in, you know, what, what should be upright professional activities. Uh, but who knows how often how often that happens? Or maybe somebody just flakes out, right? So maybe they just don't show up when you've booked a specific shoot, and you know maybe yeah. your client is depending on that. Maybe you book the model, and then the makeup artist doesn't show up, or you know what kind of a scenario like that. So I think it's good that you're able to verify now. Um, although you know I was reading into it, and I think that it's all sort of positive spin only, which I think could be a detriment. I don't think that you're allowed to to leave any negative comments whatsoever. Mm. So you have to just let the silence speak for the negativity and let the positivity kind of ramp up and, and add the credibility in that way. I know. I, I have one word for Model Mayhem. Escrow. If they if they institute a process by which if a model, you know, accepts a job and they have an account on the system, they have to deposit a certain amount of money into a quote escrow account along with the photographer. If the job is completed, you get your money back along with the fee. If you if you flake your money's gone. At least, so at least someone gets some money out of it. I, that's that's the issue. Martin, have you? I know they don't. Have, I don't think they have model mayhem over in Tokyo, but you've seen the service, right? And I think they do. I, I looked at it years oh, ago um, when I was I was almost to, um, trying to set up a, a model job model job where I was going to go and do something. Mm-hmm. Um, they have it here. I'm pretty sure, um, or something similar. I remember looking, but. Yeah, I mean, they, for me, most of my models are like snow monkeys and red crown cranes and sn- sea eagles and things. So yeah, it's they uh, very rarely flake. I know. Yeah, they, I get, I get what I, I get what's there. But I, yeah. no, I, I agree with, uh, I, I agree with Don. I think that there's, um, there's a certain amount of weariness from from both, you know, both both parties. I mean, if I was a good looking young model, I wouldn't want to be just Who going says off. You aren't, and, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to be just going off and hooking up with some with some photographer that I'd got no idea, you know, whether he's whether he's the real deal or not either. Yeah. So I think yeah. that you know that it works both ways. It, if if you're a, a photographer, no one's got time to waste sitting around waiting for someone that doesn't turn up. And if you're a model, you don't necessarily want to be going and hooking up with anyone that you know you don't really know what their what their motives are. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's good to get that from both sides. It's it's a good. Uh, a good thing all around, I think. But that's that mm-hmm. that which you highlighted there, Martin, is an inherent issue with the whole with that particular industry. You know, the mm. the the wannabes and the hopefuls that are trying to get their modeling career started, and what they call on Model Mayhem the GWCs, the guy with camera that wants to take pictures of half naked or naked women. Mm. You know, and he's like, oh hey, Model Mayhem, a treasure trove. <laughs> I can just say I'm a right. photographer and get them to show up at X Y Z location, and take pictures. Even if I don't have a memory card in the camera, it's all good, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But there's always going to be that. I mean, it's the seedy underbelly of this business, right? There's always going to be that sliver of the of the photographer populations that's going to do that. And there's always going to be the sliver of the population of the model side that is going to flake, right? Mm. And like you said, the, the other piece of it, the other dimension of the triangle is when, you know, these are young girls that are – 
you know, they could be taken advantage of in many different horrible ways. Mm. And they're putting themselves in harm's way by going to a strange location with a strange guy that they just read about on a a site they just signed up for. Mm. So, you know, I, I think there should be some more kind of safeguards in there. I don't know what they are. I mean, the escrow thing is an idea, but I don't know. It seems like there should be something else in there to, to keep these people safe. Yeah. And and you you look at uh, like what say feedback on any website. It's hard to control exactly what kind of feedback is given and how people game that system as well. Right. Like if Mm. you look at eBay, um, if you see somebody that has a lot of positive reviews, well, maybe they're uh, reviews and feedback from like two cent items that were never actually shipped to anybody. But it gives them a very high rating so that when you go and you buy a thousand dollar item, it looks like they're a reputable business person. But then you never Hmm. get that item. Um, Now, good idea, Don. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, but you you see in in model mayhem something like that could also happen but there wouldn't necessarily be a financial game uh for the photographer it would be for whatever perverse purposes they might have and so the 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 anonymous and anonymity uh, would disappear in that scenario. And I don't think that it would be gamed in the same way. I think that it's one level of security that has been sorely needed for both Model Mayhem and any other service like it, I should say. Uh, But I still think more should be done too. Yeah, it's like whenever, whenever you try to merge the digital world with the physical world, stuff's gonna happen uh, you know, it's, and then you sprinkle in the fact that these are pretty women with high aspirations and photographers who also have high aspirations but a, a tiny contingent of them are nefarious you know it's a it's it's scary i don't know martin if again i always like to put you on the seat and make you play armchair quarterback <laughs> if if you were if you were like running this company model mayhem and your constituency was saying hey you know, there's these segments of our population that are doing the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. But by and large, what we're doing is a positive thing. What would you what would you do? Like, how would you help help to to circumvent the situation? I don't don't know. I mean, I think what they've done is a is a major step forward. Maybe maybe that I don't know, might might have a sleazebag rating or something. (laughs) Like Scumminess. What would that icon look like? Yeah, I mean, but see that that's dangerous, too, because if you've got a thousand great reviews for a restaurant and then you have one negative review that says I saw a cockroach in the corner, nobody Mm -hmm. cares about those thousand positive reviews. Mm -hmm. They only read the one Mm -hmm. negative one. So even if the negative review is unsubstantiated in any way and it's just somebody that has a vendetta against somebody, then Mm -hmm. that will carry far more weight than it should. And often you can't do anything about it. Right. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and or if and you I have a photographer that, they, that has a a giant following of models already, and he says, "Hey, girls, go rate me on Model Mayhem because they have this verified credits thing," and he gets an exorbitantly high rating because mm. of that. I, I don't know. Martin, I'm yeah. sorry. What were you going to say? No, well, I mean, there's that. I think even with the reviews, there's there's the you you were saying that they all seem to be positive reviews, but I'm sure if you're writing one of these reviews, you can put negative comments in there as well, and. Mm-hmm. Any interaction is totally subjective. And so, you know, the, the photographer could be a perfectly straight up, you know, nice guy, but he, he maybe looks at the model a little bit different, you know, a little bit differently to how she would have expected. And all of a sudden he's a sleazebag and he didn't mean to be, you know, and so there, yeah, yeah. there's there's ways for this to become a little bit sort of a, of a negative um, 
feature as well. But yeah. I think it, in general, it's going to be it'll work well. And yeah. you know, the sleaze bag thing is is really just a, a that's more a joke than anything. But I, I can't totally. think of anything more than than what they're currently trying to implement. Um, well, right I would now. I would think a lot of the onus goes to the photographer and the model to protect mm. themselves as well. So if you're a model, don't do stupid stuff, right? Don't show up in a strange neighborhood alone with your bikini mm. going to a strange dude's house that claims to be a photographer that you never met before. That's just Darwin at work right mm. there, right? <laughs> so right. don't do that. Bring someone with you or don't go, you know, yeah. that's it. And then on the photographer side, you're opening yourself up for all kinds of liability if this model is nefarious and she wants to screw you and say that you did something that you didn't do and it's your word against hers, guess whose right. career is going to be ruined? It's going right. to be yours. So right. have someone there, a makeup artist, a friend, an assistant, or someone in the room. It should never just be you and a model exactly. shooting. Yeah. Well, I, and you know, that I, would be a wonderful disclaimer to have in front of every single interaction that uh, that gets put forward, because a lot of these models are very naive, right? There's a mm-hmm. there, there might be a certain level of innocence, especially if it's their very first time doing something like this. And you're right, Frederick, that they should know better. But what if they don't know better? What if they haven't been told better? Um, there's yeah. there's always yeah. sort of that the 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 lesson learned the hard way, and I'd rather that never happen. So, uh, you know, it, you know, it, Darwin at work to some degree, but I, I think that it, it's more. While it is the responsibility of the people involved to stay safe, the steward of that responsibility to make sure all the variables are known should also be model mayhem. Yeah, mm. no, I agree. I agree. But yeah, mm. and again, I mean, like you said, a lot of it falls on the model and the photographer because like, you know, using the Darwin example, the gazelle that's being eaten by the lion the last words are, no one told me I should stay with the pack. <laughs> you know, it's, like, you can't, yeah. it's not going to help you when you're being eaten already, right, you know, right. so you got to, you know, it's scary. It's a scary business. But, you know, just common sense, protect mm. yourself, both in the photographer and the model side. Yeah. Makeup artists. Yeah, you guys are probably OK. <laughs> but photographers and models make sure at least hire a makeup artist to be there just to protect everybody. Well, that, All right, know, guys. That, that's one one thing that I was going to say. I I actually um, when I was considering going, you know, using the model for something a while back, I was a mental note that I'd made to myself was that I, I was going to be sure that I'm no, made a note that in you know when I approached the model that my assistant would be with me parenthesis mm-hmm. wife so that they know that there's it's not just going to be a guy who's a who could be a sleaze bag I was going to say who's a sleaze bag I'm hoping I hope I'm not um yeah. you know so just having having that additional bit of reassurance is probably a good thing for people using that kind of service to do as well yeah yeah but you know, the world is strange. It could be like, oh, this guy and his wife. <laughs> <What? laughs> <laughs> oh, they're into that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. just bring models, bring someone with you. That's it. You know, yeah. just just bring someone with you and photographers have someone with you, like a wife or a makeup artist or someone. And yeah. then it's all good. Yeah. Scary stuff, but good stuff. I, you know, I applaud Model Mayhem for moving in this verified credits direction. I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, hopefully it's going to help turn their image around because I've heard lot, whenever... In the industry, you mentioned model mayhem. People roll their eyes lately, you know, mm. because it's the flake factor. It's, you know, it kind of says, oh, you can afford to go to an agency and you're or you're an amateur or something because you're using model mayhem. And I don't think that's the case at all. There's lots of amazingly talented and high caliber models on model mayhem, as well as professional photographers that are really, really good on there. But the stigma that's overlaying them is kind of like a, you know, a translucent film <laughs> that needs to be removed. 
So, mm-hmm. all right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about iFi jumping into the world of photo sharing with its acquisition of Jeremy Cowart's OK Do This. And FYI, you're going to hear right now the fact that iFi is a sponsor of This Week in Photo. This episode of TWIP is sponsored by iFi. iFi has a brand new vision for helping you manage your photography. Here's how they look at photography workflows, old versus new. The old way, point, shoot, download, organize, backup, die of boredom, then rinse and repeat. The new way, point, shoot, and iFi. iFi pulls all of your original resolution photos from your digital camera and smartphone and puts them into a single, intelligently organized library. This library is then immediately viewable from all of your devices, and iFi backs up everything to the cloud as well as your desktop automatically. The best thing is you can try it for free today, twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O slash iFi. And we'd like to thank iFi for their support of this week in photo. All right, guys, we're back. iFi has acquired OK Do This, and they're moving into the world of social media and photo sharing apps. So let me read this little blurb from their press from the uh, from Petapixel. Actually, this story comes to us. They said today the company iFi jumped into the world of mobile apps by announcing that it has acquired OK Do This, the photography inspiration app and community that was created in 2012 by photographer Jeremy Cowart who's also a friend of Twit, by the way, and the Nashville-based app startup Alumpa. Alumpa. iFi says the acquisition will allow it to begin engaging directly with photographers to inspire creativity and the exchange of ideas. So, okay, do this. Um, And iFi, first of all, I want to get you guys your opinions on both of these companies. Uh, Martin, you go first. Have you used either of these services, the iFi, which was the Wi-Fi card, and now they're expanding into the cloud and apps, or OK Do This, this photo sharing app? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, period. On to the next. Okay, and why not? So what's what's your perception of iFi as a company? So they've been around for a long time doing those cards. What's your perception of them right now? I, I like what they're doing. I think that they... Um, they're doing a lot for the industry in general. I, I think it's iFi that puts together those 100 po- uh, photographers of the year or of the decade, mm-hmm. things like that. I, I like their, their, um, you know, their contributions to the photography industry. I've, I definitely had, since the release of the first iFi card, I've, I've had their products on my radar. But for me, because I often shoot in relatively remote places, it's never really meant much um, much sense for me to try and get things up into the cloud quickly. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's always been there. It's it's an option. I think that they they've got good products, and obviously their success proves that. But I uh, it's just never quite been something that I've I've wanted to jump it into. Doesn't, it doesn't first. fit your workflow, right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know. And from my perspective, and of course, like I said, um, there's there are latest or one of our newest sponsors to This Week in Photo. So thank you, iFi, supporting us and helping get the word out. But they're, um, you know, and I told those guys when I was having early conversations with them, my perception of iFi was they were a solution that was awesome back when we needed that solution. And then we got cameras that had I, Wi-Fi capabilities in them and made it kind of no longer necessary to have the Wi-Fi on the on the card. 
And then now, um, however, they schooled me and they said, well, now they're moving into the cloud and they're doing all the social stuff with OK Do This and they're kind of reinventing the direction of the company. So it's really interesting to see where they've come. But I think they've they've not done a great job of communicating that that path from we were here, you know, and we were we solved this problem and now we're here. You know, we that what happened in between is kind of cloudy. Don Komarechka, what about you? Have you have you ever used this service? Yeah, well, I experimented with iFi early on. Um, I was working at a camera store many years ago, and uh, the first iFi cards had kind of come uh, into the store, and we were playing with them, and it was a really cool idea. Well before Wi-Fi had ever been dreamt of to be put into a camera, and so they, yeah. they were pioneers in that in that uh, respect. And to to say that they're buying uh, an app. And that kind of goes in a completely different direction from where they started is both good and bad, in my opinion. I mean, I know that they need to reinvent themselves and uh, they're, they're trying to stay relevant. And uh, as Martin said, that they've made some great contributions to the photographic community. And I think that that will continue in, in this particular direction. Um, an app like OK Do This, I mean, if they can wrap that into their technology somehow, um, then they have the ability to, say, take a picture right away or, uh, heck, maybe within a specific minute of a day, maybe they'll have a particular contest where... That happens. And then immediately then with people using an iFi card, uh, then they have the ability to have that uploaded and it's automatically all up there within, you know, five minutes afterwards. And then that's a fun kind of competition to have. Right. So I I, I can see there's tons of really cool ideas for them to start to, to develop this forward. But like Martin, I have not found a way to wrap this into my own photographic workflow. Part of that right. is because my cameras use compact flash cards. And while they, I think they have a compact flash adapter, uh, I'm sure that there would be a, a performance hit and uh, their capacity of their cards are less than I usually use as I was on last time. I think I mentioned that I use like 128 and 256 gig memory cards and all that. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> and, and so then you mentioned you had a one terabyte card or something. No, no. But I said that if there was a 512 gig card, I would, I would be the first in line to buy it um and so ifi doesn't hit exactly the market that i am but i am far far from the average photographer in that uh, in in that situation um if you were a street photographer and you wanted to like even if you're in like a conflict zone or you're uh photographing around uh uh, protests or riots or something. And if you could have a copy of your images automatically leave the camera memory card so that if somebody then confiscates your memory card, then it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? They're gone. And then <laughs> yeah, you chuckle to yourself over. as they're already in the cloud, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so yeah. there's, there's tons of valid use cases in, in all sorts of things. And I think that they're still relevant, but, uh, I think this purchase does them well to, to help reinvent their, their own. I think you hit model. it. Both of you, you, both of you guys hit it right on the head. And what I was thinking was there, there's a marketing issue there, right? So there's, there's the, when I go to a site, I want to know how does this, what problem does this solve for me? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I use this right now amongst, amongst the storm of other people vying for my images for free and Google and Apple and Flickr and 500 pics and all this stuff. You have an offering here. What can it do for me that's different than what these guys can do? And they mm-hmm. have some things that are different than what everyone else can do, but they've done a poor job of communicating that. I think largely because they've been pivoting. You know, I think they've been in a const- constant pivot away from this hardware card based thing into what they're kind of trying to morph into now. So that's interesting that they do this. And Jeremy, you know, when Jeremy launched this, I think I interviewed him. We'll link to that interview that I did with Jeremy back when he launched it. I think I talked to him before, like a couple of weeks or a week before he launched OK Do This. And 
you know, you'll hear what that app is about and what his vision was for that app. And it is pretty cool. Like you said, Don, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it solves the issue of, okay, I like to shoot with this cool camera that I bought. What should I shoot? (laughs) You know, it solves that and then gives you feedback on it. You know what? If you go, if you tell somebody, oh, go take a picture that's creative. Well, you're going to come back with the most boring, non-creative garbage. But if you tell some somebody to go out and take a picture of, you know, tea splashing out of a teacup. Well, Mm -hmm. how many people are going to find a very creative approach to that within lighting and the subject matter and maybe a model and all these different things all relating to that one particular subject because you planted a seed uh, and you you gave them limitations for which creativity is born from. Uh, And I think, okay, do this does a great job at uh, at filling that role very, very well. Uh, You have to be a self-starter to uh, get something out of an app like that though i mean it's not like you're you're being forced to do it you have to want to you have to want Mm -hmm. that creative juice to start flowing uh Mm -hmm. but then once you do that then you've got an outlet to say okay well you know i i've got the match here where's my fuel for this particular fire yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and you can see what other people have done too so you say you know what like like one of these examples that that uh petapixel put in their article is examples of do's include defy gravity right so there are many different interpretations of defying gravity. You come up with your interpretation of defying gravity, which may be you jumping in the air and snapping a picture or something. Um, but then you go and look and see what thousands of other people's interpretation of that phrase was. And it kind of, you know, like, oh, I had never thought about that. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'll try that next time. And it inspires you for the next do that pops mm-hmm. up. You know, I, I think that we we all, as we shoot, we build up a, a mental database of possibilities that seed our creativity. And the having that, even if you don't have the time even to go and shoot every day, just looking at things like that plants those those little ideas and we draw from them. Whenever whenever we compose an image, whenever we 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 try to figure out what the best or the optimal shutter speed is or or the what the shutter speed does to the subject. It, mm-hmm. it all helps us to, gives us little, um, like, I always think of it like a filing cabinet. You know, you've, you've got a landscape one, you've got a, you've got a model one, you've got a macro one, and, and in there is all of these different ideas, and you draw from them pretty quickly. Uh, the, uh, but the more you shoot, the better you get at doing that. And yeah. it's like the, the, you know, a few years ago, the big thing was to do these 365 projects the, where yeah. you do a... A, a fo- that I, I never did one because I, I honestly don't think that I have the time and probably not even the commitment to do it every day. But I yeah. think that, <laughs> but I think that they they help people because having a camera in your hand, making at least a handful of photos every day, increases the, your ability to use that machine. You know, you, mm. if I if I'm doing something where I don't have a camera in my hand for a few weeks, even even though I make my living from photography and photography-related activities, if I don't pick my camera up for a few weeks, it feels a little bit rusty when I pick it up. It, it comes back yeah. like instantly. But I think that when you, know, when you have the, the, um, some sort of a, of a motivation to pick up your camera and make at least one or two photos every day, it keeps the, 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 sort of, you know, the muscle memory and the, the mental act of actually set, make, changing your settings and that. It really helps you to do that. So, and that's where apps like OK Do This come in because, you know, like Don said, it, you don't always have an idea of what you want to shoot each day. And yeah, it, it's yeah. not necessarily the result that's important. It's, it's the act of making the photograph that's important. 
Yeah. Yeah. You look at Instagram and their, you know, meteoric popularity. And I look at an app like this versus like Instagram versus OK, do this. And I think, OK, how can OK, do this compete against the likes of an Instagram? And mm. I don't think that's the proper question to be asking. Instagram is Instagram. You know, people are going to use it and they're going to share pictures of their food, their cat, their feet, portraits, good shots, bad shots, whatever are going on Instagram. OK, do this. I think of as if you're like focusing a beam down a little bit and you're saying, OK, now I have something to go do. I'm going to go literally go do it so yeah right. it's interesting it's interesting uh, you know i like to see i'm I'm interested to see what's next for these guys and where they're going to go in terms of the integration with um with iFi and the iFi cloud that they have going on when i head over to vietnam i'm gonna i'm gonna use this service i'm gonna put it to its test so i'm gonna use it i'm like i okay do this i might you know i don't know if anyone can do any dues that i post from Vietnam, you know, but, but I'm definitely going to use the iFi cloud to post images. So, and basically, you know, maybe I'll use both of them. So if you're on, okay, do this, my username is just, my name's Frederick Van on there. So follow me on, okay, do this to see what I do there. And then I'm going to post on this week in photo, a link to a gallery. Cause with, with iFi, you can create a gallery and a, and basically I can just keep updating that gallery throughout my trip. So as I shoot photos and have a nice photo that I feel like I'm okay with sharing, I'll put it in that gallery and people can see what I'm doing over in Vietnam. Well, so. And so that brings up an interesting point that kind of piggybacks on what, uh, what Martin said as well, where, you know, I, I haven't done a 365 project either, though I, you know, I, I do my snowflake project every winter, which, you know, just about kills me every year uh, because it's important to make that commitment to yourself to to say, OK, well, I'm going to do something every day. I'm going to stay active and I'm going to stay engaged within my photography. Uh, the the problem with a 365 project and that kind of incentive is that uh, you almost have an obligation to share those images with the world as proof that you took them, regardless of yeah. if they're good or not. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if, if you have a lack of inspiration for a week and you're putting up, you know, pictures of whatever you're finding at your desk at, you know, 1150 at night because you never had time to take a picture, you're not doing anybody any service. You're just taking that picture out of a sense of obligation to, mm -hmm. to have one to complete the project. And, you know, that, that's been the biggest downfall of that particular type of, uh, of, of scenario. But if you are looking for a creative option from, okay, do this, you're not obligated to do it every day. You know, if you have a day where you're just too busy, you, you know, you don't take five minutes that you don't have to take a picture that you don't want to take. Uh, and so as, so long as you keep checking back and keeping yourself engaged in it, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, you're not obligated to do the do. I, like that. I had to get that in there. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take another quick break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about DJI, the drone folks, and Hasselblad teaming up to form a strategic partnership. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. 
And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds. And expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your, on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP, enter the code This Week in Photo or TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to, uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, we're back. DJI and Hasselblad are cozying up together. So here's the blurb I'm going to read to you. Medium format and aerial camera maker Hasselblad has sold a minority stake to the Chinese drone giant SZ DJI Technology Company Limited in what the two companies describe as a corporate partnership. The exact stake has not been revealed, but both sides are keen to point out that there will be no merging of the businesses and from an external viewpoint, nothing will change. This is interesting. So what does it mean? <laughs> so you're merging, you've got a minority stake, so that just means you have, does that mean Hasselblad has given up a little bit of influence to DJI now? What, what does that mean? Martin, I read this a couple of times. In fact, the, the paragraph is much longer than this. And this comes to us from DP Review. It's much longer than this. But I'm still trying to understand like what what the nuance of this is normally you can see like what did okay do this and i fi it's like okay they needed that social and the app piece mm. to add to their business here i'm trying to figure out what does this mean for dji what do you think you know i i was very much the same i read through it a couple of times and i was trying to think okay so what what's the benefit here mm -hmm. um i think what it is is it, it's DJ, dji are probably you know, they, they've got a lot of battles to fight at the moment. You know, drones are being, everyone, not everyone, but, you know, people love drones. I'd love an Inspire. You know, they, they're yeah. really cool. You go off and you can shoot some really cool stuff. But there's, on the other side, you've got, you know, your governments around the world trying to, um, trying to close them down, you know, trying to stop people from flying drones here, there, and pretty much everywhere. And so I, I think that they're, if this company can all of a sudden say we're we're partnered with Hasselblad, you know, a, a, a company that has been making cameras for lo as long as cameras have been around almost, you know, they, mm -hmm. they, they, it gives them a, a big chunk of street cred that they can probably use in their favor. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's the, the reason for this. I'm, you know, we, we could be thought, thinking of 
um, you know, actually including some kind of Hasselblad lenses or some some sort of technology in the in the drones, that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, and I'm sure that having probably with a big enough chunk to get someone on the board will help them to get those sort of things done. Um, but I, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I, I keep coming back to the street cred factor. I think that they're yeah. they're sort of they're trying to get validation as a a serious company, a hardware photographic hardware company. Um, and if that's the case, you know, and if they had the money to go and buy a chunk of Hasselblad, then you know, all power to them. It's yeah, maybe that was it. Well. Maybe it's because Hasselblad buying a chunk of Hasselblad was relatively inexpensive because they're not a gigantic company. But if it was the street the street cred piece or, or tangent that they were taking, I would have, you know, I think like buying a stake or taking a stake in Sony or Fuji or <laughs> Panasonic or someone like that or Nikon or even Canon, you know, one of those guys. And I didn't mean to say even Canon, but Nikon <laughs> or Canon. <laughs> I'm going to get a hate mail for the, <laughs> the Nikon or Canon, one of the more mainstream players. But I'm thinking, like, why Hasselblad? Like, I don't even know it. I mean, I know one person that shoots Hasselblad right now. So, well, I don't maybe, know. maybe that's it, though. Maybe it's, you know, Hasselblad. I, I don't know how much how much Hasselblad is worth, but maybe it was what you what you touched on there, Frederick, that Hasselblad is r- relatively small compared to some of the some com- companies like you know, the big names that you mentioned there. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe it was just easier to buy a controlling percentage of their stock that, you know, it was it was possible, you know, and if it, if it is for street cred, then it's probably going to be a lot easier for them to buy enough of Hasselblad compared to buying enough of Canon or Nikon or Sony, you know, so it's it maybe maybe it is just all about the numbers. Yeah, it might be Don Don, What do you think? Well, uh, Frederick, how many people do you know that own an Aston Martin? Uh. Two. <laughs> well, okay, so then they win. But I see, I don't know anybody that owns an Aston Martin. But what I'm saying is, street cred is not equal to the number of people that actually own an object. It it sort of uh, it, it lends itself towards the desire of that. But this this is weird because they don't say how much of a stake. They they say that the business models will stay separate. It's like nothing to see here. Move along. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, well, what, what, there's gotta be something going on behind the scenes. Um, I, it's like, we're, we're, we're not dating. We're just kind of hanging out right now. (laughs) Don't make any inferences, (laughs) but you know, Hasselblad does have an aerial camera that they uh, announced not too long ago, the A5D, I think, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. for aerial purposes. And I'm sure a very, very small market on its own. Uh, maybe there could be some partnership there. I know that Hasselblad has made partnerships. Um, I mean, behind the scenes, uh, with uh, Panasonic, something similar to what Leica may have done in the past for their uh, their less expensive cameras. In order, like the Hasselblad has their Lunar series of cameras, which I think they're awful. Uh, I don't think that they should have ever been made because it's really outside of the brand of what Hasselblad really should be doing. Uh, but yeah. the the point is that they made a strategic partnership with uh, with another manufacturer and another company um, that was not really clear exactly you know how that partnership worked, and they produced a product based on that. Uh, Hasselblad yeah. is no stranger to that. And uh, and I just hope that it it wraps around the, the key allure of the Hassel, uh, Hasselblad brand and puts that into a phantom or, or something similar. Because, you know, how awesome would it be to be flying around with a drone 
probably by the medium format standards, a gigantic drone, uh, but with a, a specially designed Hasselblad camera body, you know, uh, purposely mounted inside of that thing. I, that would be awesome. Yeah. And there would be That's a market true. for that for people that are aiming for the higher end aerial market. Uh, people that are renting helicopters right now might find that as a viable alternative instead of paying the rental fee and the fuel for renting a helicopter in certain scenarios. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And as, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, so DJI, we've been looking at it from the standpoint of what does DJI get out of this? Why, why are you doing that? But you're right. You know, what does Hasselblad get out of it? And I, the, I'm thinking like, OK, you know, Hasselblad is the older, more mature company trying to partner with the younger, nimble DJI. It's almost like a cougar, you know, <laughs> looking, looking to capture a younger man, you know, or something like that. So DJI is the younger, nimble, high tech, popular in the headlines company. And Hasselblad, you don't really hear about them all that much. This might be a way for Hasselblad to elevate itself to the stature of a popular, more hip DJI. So who knows? It's crazy. It's crazy talk happening in this business right now. Well, and so if you've got that full frame, uh, full frame, or sorry, bigger than full frame, the medium format camera, uh, the, yeah. the current aerial uh, product from Hasselblad is available in 50 and 80 megapixel varieties. Oh, um, so, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even want to look at the price tag, but an 80 megapixel camera that has a sensor that big, which it's not just like a lot of pixels, the, the bigger they are, of course, the better they are in many cases. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, if you could have that for some real serious work, I mean, that it, it will be a game changer for a very specific niche of that market. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, what was it? Eric Chang was talking about. I forget the, the name of the technology, but it was a form of cartography where your drone is mapping you know, the a land mass or or a particular area, maybe this is good for that. In fact, speaking of Eric Chang, maybe we bring him on at some point to help shed some light on this. I bet he has a different idea about this acquisition or not this acquisition, but this partnership and what it might mean. So interesting stuff. Never a dull moment in the TWIP universe. Never, <laughs> never. All right, guys, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to answer a question from one of the TWIP listeners. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online training platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, just visit lynda.com slash twip. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-W-I-P. Now, lynda.com is for problem solvers, creative people, or just people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or even boost your Photoshop skills. Just go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. lynda.com offers a ton of courses on Lightroom, Photoshop, and the Adobe Creative Cloud, and many on just getting inspired or re-inspired about your photography. With a lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn at your own schedule. And courses are structured so that you can watch them from start to finish, or you can consume them in bite-sized pieces. You can even download tutorials and watch them on the go from your iOS or Android device. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, 
all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash twip and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash twip. All right, it is time for some listener Q&A. This week's question is from Mark Friedman. Mark says, hi, I have about one terabyte of photos. I back up religiously, making three separate backups to three separate standalone hard drives. I also make a Backblaze backup in the cloud. I've heard Frederick and others mention that they use a, they use Drobo for their backup. I'm wondering what the advantages are over what I'm now doing, or if there are any significant disadvantages to what I am now doing. Martin, what do you think? I mean, he's got he's got a pretty rock solid workflow there. I mean, should mm. he introduce a Drobo into that? Um, maybe not yet. Um, firstly, I'd like to say hi to Mark. I know Mark, we've, uh, we've communicated a number of times. Um, oh, cool. and in fact, I've got an email from him in my email, in my inbox from yesterday that I'm going to reply to later. So hi, Mark. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, the thing is, I, I think that with, with what he's got set up, he doesn't necessarily need a Drobo just yet. Um, I use Drobos. I, I actually have two. I don't rely on the fault tolerance in the Drobo. I have I have the the 5Ds so I've got 5 disks in there. Yeah. And that means that one of the disks or depending on the size is used for uh fault tolerance. So you you basically if one drive breaks, you can take it out uh with the Drobo turned on, put in a new one and it just rebuilds the data for you. You don't lose anything. Um like magic. So yeah. yeah. So I use the the fault tolerance, but I actually have a second Drobo that's simply a backup of my first. And whenever I come back from a, a big trip and I, I put all of my images on there, I start up the second Drobo and just sync them so that I've got a second copy. And the first copy goes, it's, it goes straight into the cloud. So I'm also backing up to Backblaze from my, from my Drobo. But yeah. this is all very much, very similar to what Mark's got right now. Um, and the only reason that I felt that I needed a Drobo initially was because I couldn't. I could no longer fit all of my images on one hard drive, and I love having everything in one place so that I can make an easy backup of my entire library. And with one terabyte of images, Mark's going to be able to continue to do that for a number of years. Totally. Um, I've, yeah. I've currently got seven terabytes, seven and a half, almost eight terabytes of Jeez. of photographs, um, and that's <laughs> why once I, I think I I bought the Drobo when. Two terabyte drives were still the largest you could get. And I, I'd gone past two terabytes and I wanted everything on one drive. And so, you know, it becomes really, really convoluted if you start to have from one, from say from 2000 to 2008 on one drive, from 2009 to 2013 on another drive. Mm -hmm. It makes your backups really, really convoluted. And so having them in one place is a big benefit. So I would say that once. Mark gets past the point where he can get all of his images on one drive, bearing in mind that he's already got all of these other backups and the Backblaze cloud backup in place, I would say that the biggest thing for him to consider is just buying something like a Drobo once his, his images are no longer able to fit in one drive. Um, mm -hmm. it, there is, of course, the, there is the fault tolerance is a big thing. Hard drives will fail at some point. And so it, it's it's always nice to have the fault tolerance of a Drobo, but they're not cheap, you know. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna spend a thousand dollars 
on a drive and the hard drives that you start to put in there, it's it's a little bit more of an investment to think about. But the good thing about Drobos as well is that once you can start off with just two drives, you get the housing, put put two drives in there, you've got fault tolerance. If you use four terabyte drives, put two in. They're like $200 now for a four terabyte drive. Mm-hmm. Put two in, you get four terabytes of fault tolerant space. And that means if you use that as your, mate, your master backup, um, then even if one of those drives does break, you can whip it out, put another one in, and nothing, and you, it doesn't really skip a beat. So, okay. um, and then as your as your drive, your storage requirements increase, just put another drive in, and and they don't all have to be the same size drives either. I'm I'm looking at my my main Drobo. I've got four four terabyte drives and a two terabyte drive in there, and what I do is I just buy additional drives. I always have a spare ready. And now the two terabyte drive is the last two terabyte drive to break. And so when that breaks, I'll take it out and put a four in and, you know, and it'll just keep working. So they grow with your requirements as well. Love it. Love it. That's, I mean, I can't say that any better. That's exactly what I would have recommended in terms of, you know, that's because he said he has three separate standalone drives. Mm. When you hit the ceiling, that's when you start upgrading and, and putting in a more robust solution. And I also agree with you, Martin, on the idea of not relying on the fault tolerance of the, you know, the Drobo, because they fail too, you know, so to have a second Drobo like you do, and I do, that you have a mirror of it on the second Drobo. So you have multiple layers of redundancy, but don't even, don't even look at the fact that the Drobo can withstand a hard drive failure internally. Just look at it as a single drive and put another Drobo next to it. And this is all obviously budget notwithstanding, but put another drive next to it and mirror them. So that now you have one, you have the other, and you can expand capacity on the fly as you go. Don, yeah. Don Komariska, what about you? What do you what do you think about this flow? Uh, it's funny that we, uh, all three of us on this panel each have two Drobos. Uh, but yeah. you know, <laughs> the, the, the reason, you know, it, it's probably the same for all of us. But uh, here's one scenario that I hope never happens to anybody. Okay, one drive on your Drobo fails. You pop it out and you put in a new one. It has to go through an active um, healing process where it uh, redistributes all of the data onto the new drive and, and, and makes everything well again. If something happens during that process, you lose. You lose everything. Uh, so. Exactly. You know, if something happens like what, like a power outage or no, no, a power outage won't necessarily fail. But like if another drive fails uh, during that process, because if you have a bunch of drives of about the same age, one fails just before another or another one is starting to fail already, but it hasn't shown its symptoms to Drobo yet. uh, Mm. Those symptoms would be revealed when it has to read all of the data to heal itself uh, and thereby your array is gone. Now, Drobo does have the ability to use a a dual drive redundancy setup. So this might be something uh, good. For, for Mark, if he only has a small amount of data and he he says standalone drives, so I'm assuming these are external drives, not internal drives. Yeah, um, if he had internal drives, you know, you could always just plug them into the Drobo and then, you know, that, that saves you a little bit of the budget there. Uh, and if you have dual disk redundancy, two drives out of the five, if you're using a Drobo 5D, uh, can fail. And uh, so that that kind of helps you there. But it is still it is one location of data. Um, The the only use case I think that would be very useful for Mark is convenience. I I don't know how often he backs up to these drives, but if he goes out and shoots and then comes back to his computer, downloads them onto his main computer or his main hard drive and then plugs in another external drive and copies it there, then plugs in another external drive and copies it there. I would be so lazy I wouldn't do it. 
And so yeah, that does the human failure. Laziness yeah. does not a backup make because, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm not going to handle that process. It's just it's my, my data is going to sit in one location. Now, the Backblaze, uh, you know, I use uh, Carbonite, very similar service. And I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Get your images off site. Heaven forbid somebody breaks into your office and steals your computer uh, or fire flood, what have you. You know, you'd lose anything on site. And there's always the risk of that. So I think he's got a great strategy. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. a Drobo might be an option, like you guys said, for the future, keeping in mind with even a lower amount of data, the dual disk redundancy can help you stay secure. And as Martin said, keep everything in one place because yeah. it's that convenience factor that will help you back things up. That's mm. right. Yeah. Having things all over the place is a recipe for laziness and disaster. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Cool, guys. Perfect answers to that question. Um, I hope that was helpful for Mr. Mark Friedman. And Martin, if you haven't emailed him, you'll be doing that tonight, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, it's a different question, but yeah, I'll get back to him today. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. And listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to tackle on the show, just email Martin Bailey directly. And no, <laughs> no just head over, head over to thisweekinphoto.com. Click on that submit a question link and send us a question and uh, we'll try to get to it on the show. All right, guys, um, I did an interview recently with another one of our sponsors, Stride Health. This was an interesting interview, as I as you'll hear when you listen to it after I finish yakking. But Stride Health is different from our other advertisers on This Week in Photo. In fact, in, in the respect that they're not a company that's doing something photography related directly. And just, instead, they appeal to folks like me and probably you guys that are independent solopreneurs that have to purchase their own health insurance. And they demystify that process and make it brain dead easy and like we just got through saying that even the lazy person can sign up for health insurance with a couple of clicks now in fact i use them to sign up for my health insurance because i'm one of those lazy people but anyway listen to this interview and uh you know i'd be interested to hear what you guys think in the comments all right guys i'm here with someone who's the director of community for a new advertiser on this week in photo and that company is called stride health and the reason i wanted to do this interview was it, and you may notice if you if you've been listening to Twip for any length of time, you know that most, if not all, of the advertisers that we bring on the network are uh, basically photography type entities in some way or another. Stride Health is a little bit different, and the reason I wanted to bring them on because they're they are one of the premier companies in the healthcare industry that is working specifically with folks like us, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, small businesses, and helping us get benefits and reduce the scariness of making the leap from corporate to going it on your own. So Mac, Matt McDonald is the director of community at Stride Health, and he's agreed to come on to kind of, you know, I wanted to welcome him to the network, first of all, but then I also wanted to just have a quick discussion about just the and demystify healthcare with regard to that big scary monster that lurks once we leave the pearly kind of comfort of corporate. So Matt, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Frederick. You 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 explained it perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. And I'm you know, I'll I'll go on record as to say I'm I'm a customer of Stride Health. I use you guys to to because I'm a solopreneur. So I'm mm -hmm. I'm I'm right in the right in the middle of your target market. But I wanted to, first of all, I want to help you, I want you to help us understand or the TWIP audience understand the process of once you leave the corporate nest 
and right. HR says, hey, after X date, you're no longer covered by us or Cobra or anything like that. What happens then? What's next? Right. So you have to go out and find your own health insurance. And uh, just so you know, even though I work for Stride, I also am a freelancer, solopreneur, if you will. Yeah. And so I continue to buy my own health care. And I've been doing this for about seven years now. You know, and before pre-Obamacare, you would, you know, go out and hopefully find an insurance company that you, you know, Google, there's some other way to find them. And you would just buy insurance through them. And if you had pre-existing conditions, you could be denied or your rates could go up. Um, but when Obamacare came along, that no longer can happen to you. So anyone can get insurance now. Um, and your rates cannot be raised for a pre-existing condition and you can't be denied, which was a huge help for me. But the fundamental problem, which Stride sort of realized what was this process is super complicated. And the information is very hard to get at. When Obamacare started, they essentially said all insurance companies must give us the data, such as deductibles, out-of-pocket costs, uh, coverage, et cetera, in a standardized format. And so what Stride really did from the beginning was take all that data and present it in a way that was understandable, which the first product we produced was a recommendation engine. So you could go very quickly, type in your zip code, and get your best plan recommendation spit right back out at you so you didn't have to do this complicated hour-long search process. Yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting? And in, in having, having come from working at large companies here in Silicon Valley, typically when you get a stellar benefits package, you know, right. depending on the company, of course, but you're you're limited to the healthcare providers um, that they, or the insurance packages that they have signed up for for that particular company. They right. might have one or two different ones that you can choose depending on right. if you want a PPO or H- HMO or whatever, but mm-hmm. you're limited. And correct me if I'm wrong, going it on your own, the sky's the limit. You know, you could, you could choose whatever you want, right? It, it is, yeah. HMO, PPO, EPO, and then, you know, in, in addition to that, the gold, silver, bronze, platinum, catastrophic. I mean, all of these crazy terms and terminology and plans and information is coming at you. And I think that's where it really gets confusing as a solopreneur is, you know, it's almost comforting when you're under the nest to only have a couple options and not really have to think about it much. But as soon as you're out on your own, you're expected to be an expert. And that's really where Stride comes in to say, you know, you don't need to be an expert. Let us do it for you. And uh, I think that's the real, real difference in this space that uh, that Stride's come in and is serving is just being that advocate in this space and, and being your expert in healthcare. So you can go on and do photography or web development or whatever it is that you love. Right. And yeah. we'll let us worry about the healthcare side. Yeah. And that's that. Like I was saying, when I when I left corporate America, that was it was it wasn't the biggest concern the biggest concern was eating but (laughs) (laughs) one of the big concerns was you know oh it's always benefits you're like oh i can't leave my job because i have all these benefits and and for me it's always the i i'm sure like you and many solopreneurs and and other people that are still working in corporate jobs you're you start reading these books and listening Mm -hmm. to these audiobooks on entrepreneurialism and all this and then it becomes clear that, yeah, if they can do it, I can do it. But it's still scary, right? It's still scary to pull that trigger and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go it on my own. But when you, like, if I go to stridehealth.com right now, what happens? We're in an open enrollment period right now up until December 15th, correct? Correct. 
Okay, so um, I, if I go to Stride Health right now, say I quit my job or my benefits just ended, I go to Stride Health right now, what happens? What? How do I get started? Exactly. So there's a really a, a search box there and you just enter a zip code and answer a couple simple questions that help build, help us build a health profile for you. And then we spit you out the recommend, recommended plan. plan. Your plan is going to save you the most mon- money over the year. And on average, we typically save people uh, about $400 a year. And so it's a really cool product um, and very straightforward. I don't know if anybody, any of the users have used healthcare.gov or any of the state exchanges that exist. Uh, they're awful. Uh, I actually yeah. enrolled through healthcare.gov the first time around and, and am now a stride, uh, a stride customer myself. Yeah, but it's just it's night, it's night and day when you go to the website. It was developed by a bunch of young, smart people in Silicon Valley. So it has that real touch, that real product engineering touch that, that really matters and gets you to this process without um, much hassle at all. And also in language that you can understand. So you know, if you don't know what a deductible is, if you don't know what coinsurance is, we very clearly tell you and allow you to compare plans based on these, essentially these, these data points that determine how much it's going to cost you to get care. Yeah. Well, demystify that a little bit, Matt. So the whole idea of of healthcare.gov, a lot of people think that, okay, the only way that I can get insurance is to go through healthcare.gov. And is does Stride Health ride on top of healthcare.gov, or is it an alternative that sits beside it? What's the positioning? Yeah, it's an alternative that sits beside it. Okay. And I think, you know, the, the value proposition that we add is there, you know, you're you're using a modern a modern web application. That's the big one. You know, the simplicity that I just described to you is, is real from entering your zip code to getting a recommended plan to understanding the language. Um, you're not going to find that on healthcare.gov. Um, if you enroll in a plan through us, there are we offer prescription discounts and we offer a really cool um, in-network in doctor search so you can always know whether your doctor is going to be covered or not under your insurance plan, which is really important when it comes to u- utilizing your healthcare. Um, we also build you a plan to utilize your free care. So all plans under Obamacare come with free preventative care. Most people don't know what those things are. Yeah. We actually sit down, we ask you a couple questions on the web app, and we build you a schedule to use that free care, which I think is amazing because that's one of the things that you get healthcare, but then you're afraid to use it because what if it costs you $1,000 to go see the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. We get you that information very clearly. And so lastly, the thing that I love the most is that it, we have a, a member experience team that is there to answer any phone call, any question that you have at any time, whether it be about your buying your health insurance or about using it. You know, When you're in the ER wondering how much something is going to cost, they'll sit on the phone with your insurance company and get all that straightened out. So, And you know, in this space, I feel like that's really the biggest, you know, for me personally, that's the biggest benefit because... Think about it. If you call your insurance company, you're, you're so used to getting the same old thing of them being the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. right? You have a complicated question that involves a big financial decision for you, and they're fundamentally working against you because it's in their best interest for, to protect their profits. We're separate from the insurance company, right? So we take that question from a consumer angle, and we're really your advocate in that space. And you know, I'm just so excited to use that service when, when and if it comes up. I mean, hopefully people stay healthy and I stay healthy. But if I need that hard to answer question, 
when stuff's going badly, I want to have somebody on my team. And, and that's where stride comes in. That's so a, that's a good way to position it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. someone on your team, not someone working against you to keep costs lower. Right? Exactly. It's really a huge distinction that I think we have to be super clear with people on because, um, you know, it's, it's like calling your friend and being like, hey, what is the most financially uh, savvy way for me to deal with this? And rather than you know giving you the the runaround, we're going to say exactly what you can do under the policies that the government's de- defined, right? And we'll help you take advantage of places where there there might be uh, and I don't want to say loopholes, but you know that are more advantageous for the consumer as opposed to the insurance company, right? Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that you guys have basically what's what's the word unobscured or revealed all those little pieces in a healthcare plan that people typically don't use. So it's almost like, you know, you go, you go to the same store over and over again for a year. And then you find out later that, Oh, if I had just gone over there, I would have got a free cup of coffee every time I came here. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You guys reveal that, but you're like, Hey, go get your coffee, dude. You know? So yeah, no, totally. We just sort of tried to take the biggest pain points and the biggest questions that existed within the existing system and, and create a consumer product around them. So it's extremely clear what's going on at all points during your, you know, your buying process and then during your care itself. So last question, Matt. So um, here in California, I'm in Northern California here, um, and one of the big healthcare providers here is Kaiser Permanente or Kaiser. Sure, sure. Is, is Kaiser, you know, and that's kind of an all-in-one, one-stop shop sure. target of, uh, <laughs> of a healthcare are if you're if you're using Kaiser at your current employer and you quit and you want to continue Kaiser, can they do it through Stride Health? Absolutely. Yeah, we offer Kaiser plans. Yep, Kaiser's just an HMO and and we we offer the the Kaiser plans to purchase as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, hey, first of all, thank you guys, you and the and the Stride Health team. Oh, by the way, we'll mention this. So when I last week when I walked through the the plan setup process, the um, um, the woman that helped me, and I wrote it down, and I don't have it in front of me, but the woman who helped me was amazing. I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> she was, and I'm not just saying that. It was amazing, and she had no idea who I was. She didn't know that I was, you know, I had, I knew people, quote, inside the company. She just thought right, I was some regular right. dude. And, yeah. and she was just helpful and courteous and took her time with me and, you know, it was just like like you were just saying. She was bending over backwards to be on my team against the other guys versus yeah. vice versa. So that was, it's, that it's was really cool. Good. It's, it's great. You had that experience. Cause that's, that's been, you know, it's been my experience too. And just knowing that team, they're all really young. They're very into health policy and into helping people find the best plan. But also then when they have things that come up that are edge cases, helping research the answer for them yeah. and getting, getting to the bottom of it. So that's the, you know, I, I love that too. I'm yeah. glad you I'm glad you had that experience too. I did, I did. And I want to reiterate to the TWIP listeners that, you know, we're doing this interview uh, not because Stride Health is an advertiser on the network, though they are. They're our newest advertiser on the network. But uh, I wanted to bring them on just because this is important for people like us, like photographers, that, you know, you shouldn't be running around with no health insurance because you're scared to get it. And this makes it this makes it easy, like Dropbox easy to get health insurance. <laughs> yeah. So, so I just want to say that and that it's this is not a, okay, they paid Frederick, so he's saying this for them. You guys are buying advertising, but I am a customer as well. So this, this really makes sense. So thanks again for, uh, for doing this interview. 
Yeah, and that's why you know I reached out to you because I you know I am a photographer as well. I did it you know full time for the last two years, and now I'm doing some different stuff. But it was always a big expense, up to fifteen percent of you know my my monthly expenses. So yeah. to say that I shouldn't put time and understand this uh, at least at the, the functional level to make sure I'm getting the right plan, you know, I, I need to. And so I just thought, oh, photographers, sure, they're all on their own, and that's why I said hi to you. So I'm yeah. glad this worked out. Yep. Yep. Likewise. Well, Twib listeners, when you hear those Stride Health ads on the network, <laughs> just think of this interview and think of Matt. And Matt, where where should folks go to uh, to connect with Stride Health? Uh, in terms of the community itself, or or wherever StrideHealth.com is to get started to get a plan, right? Or yep. any, any other places you'd like them to go? Well, we're you know we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter too, all at Stride Health. And um, you know my job is to put out content that's that's engaging to uh, to the audience. And we do some cool health stuff. We do customer profiles. We're really really building out that content side now. We have some amazing sponsored athletes that we put out content with as well. So um, all those social media channels, we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. Wonderful. All right, Matt McDonald, thank you for coming on this week in photo. Thanks so much, Frederick. All right, you're welcome. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're on to this week's pick of the week. Uh, this is the segment where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the TWIP listeners as long as it is related to photography. Martin Bailey, I'm going to get let you go first. What's your pick of the week? Um, I, You know, I've got a sneaking feeling I might have done this one in the past, but <laughs> this is something that is, is really on my uh, – I've actually started a project at the moment with these guys – there's a company called Artisan State, and they do these amazing flush mount albums that where they lay totally flat. I'm pretty sure I've done this before, but I I, I don't really think so I don't remember seeing this. No, I mean if you're if you're watching, you can see Frederick's got this up on the screen now. But they're they're pretty amazing books. They they lay totally flat, um, and I'm currently putting together. I'm going to do a really nice Iceland and Namibia book. Um, just for me initially, um, but just get one with probably a leather band, you know, the leather cover on it and all of that. Um, and they, they just look so stunning. And th- apparently they have like a, a $5 special offer in your first month if you, if you get your act together and actually you know, sign up and then you can get this really cheap book from them. Um, I'm not sure of the details of that. I haven't gone through it yet. But their their products look amazing. Um, even their framed prints look pretty cool. So um, I'm looking forward to getting into working with the guys at Artisan State. Um, so they're my pick of the week. I may use them for my post Vietnam book. This yeah, is, it'd be great. They look. This looks amazing. How many look pages can you have in a book? It looks like you know, you can't have more than maybe forty or fifty or so. You can, I think you can have a, it's probably around 50 or 60. I'm not sure. It's, it's a lot. Um, it's more than they show in their, in their, you know, imagery on their website. Um, but of course they're going to be huge, big fat books because some of the pages are like a millimeter or so. If you go for the, for the fattest, you know, the thickest possible pages, they're, they're pretty substantial. Um, but yeah, it's they're not sort of thin paper books. Even their thi- their thinnest stock is relatively hefty. Very yeah, cool. Those are beautiful. Very mm. good. Look at that. The bling bling cover. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> like, of them as a as a portfolio book more than anything. Yeah. 
you know, uh-huh. so, so mostly portfolios, they're going to be, they're not going to be much more than 50 pages or so anyway. And plus, well, look can, at this you, one. Look at this book here that I have on the screen here. That's yeah. ridiculous. Oh. It's got a metal cover. Isn't that cool? That's crazy. I want that right now. <laughs> I want that book. <laughs> that, yeah, with those images. Yeah. In it. <laughs> yeah. This is great. What a good pick, man. Cool. Yeah, they're good. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Martin. That's a great pick of the week. You're welcome. All right, Mr. Don Komarechka, can you top that pick of the week? I doubt it, um, but I, I do have <laughs> something interesting in a completely different way. You know, I picked up recently. Uh, DxO Optics makes their um, their Optics Pro software, and uh, they, they've got they've, I've had it out for a little bit of, uh, a while now. Their uh, Optics Pro Ten, and uh, one of the reasons why I picked this up is because I really liked their um, their noise reduction engine, their Prime noise reduction. Uh, I just found mm-hmm. that you know with my camera and the types of images that I use when I really push limits, um, they, uh, they they can do wonders within that. They let me push those limits a little bit farther. But in the previous version of the software, it took so damn long. Uh, like I would be sitting there for like five minutes while I'm just waiting for this noise reduction thing. Like, you know, go get a drink or a sandwich or what have you, come back and I'd still be yeah, waiting. Yeah. Um, it's improved. The speed is much, much faster now in this particular version of the software. I'm not sure if the algorithm has changed to produce better results. I haven't done a side-by-side comparison, but it's still fantastic and it's better to use. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm I'm really happy with the, uh, the the performance increases that they have produced. I mean, long ago, I invested in a computer with far more processor cores than you could imagine. Uh, and very few pieces of software have taken advantage of that. And uh, uh, Optics Pro 10 uh, definitely comes a little bit closer to uh, to using that. Can you believe that there's still like in the full version of Photoshop CC, half the stuff that I try to do, it's it's like locked to one processor core. I, I have 24 yeah. processor cores and 48 threads. I mean, like when I'm trying to save a file and I'm looking at it, you know, doing its thing I, and in the uh, the task manager, it's using one processor. You'd think that something as fundamental like that could probably be spread ap- uh, apart onto to, to multiple things, but uh, Adobe and the big guys haven't really been embracing that. Uh, DxO has a little bit with their software now, and I've been pretty happy with On One actually, which we talked about last time I was on, for using multiple processor mm-hmm. cores as well. So uh, a shout out for the little guy uh, in in the big scheme of things to play around with that DxO Optics Pro Ten. Isn't that cool how we're getting we're getting all these cool different tools that we can play with now? And, you know, it's it's no longer a a, a Adobe solo game. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys are diving in and doing some magic with with pixel processing these days. And it's it's just, you know, it's it's awesome on the one hand that there's all these tools out there. But it's also, you know, I'm getting analysis paralysis with all these awesome options I have now. It's like, do I use DxO or do I use On One or do I stick with Lightroom or Nick or, or Topaz go, or blah blah? You know, they're, or they're, Nick they're sh- or Topaz. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, oh, you know. And then Alice Browns, I'm just gonna stay where I am. You know, no, but you're <laughs> right. Yeah, you got to play with this stuff because it's, uh, you know, depending on what your what your flavor of photography is, this could take your photography. I hate the phrase to the next level, but it could help enhance what you're already doing. You know, so very cool and cool on the guys at DxO. Last time we heard from them. Was with the uh, with that DxO one their camera that plugs into your iPhone to do uh, cool shots that way. So very cool. That was a good pick, Martin. I would say, or, or uh, Don, I would say that it matches Martin's pick 
in terms of you. I, I don't know. I would feel much better having one of those really awesome photo books on my desk that, that, than this box. Actually, a knock on DxO. This is the only piece of software I've bought in the last seven or eight years that came in a box that had to be mailed to me. <laughs> I'm, I, well, you couldn't download no, it? There's no download? No, I, they had to send what? me a physical box. You're kidding, no, right? I'm, I'm no, I'm not kidding. There were, surely there must be a mistake. <laughs> you know what? I, I bought it from B&H. They had it on, on, on sale on a special, uh, but then I had looked around. Yeah, they, they have to ship you a physical box. So Wait a minute. Wait, they've got a try button on the site. I got to see this because that's... Well, okay. maybe it's different. Maybe Wait, it's just... Uh, DxO, I'm looking on the site. DxO trial version, Windows and Mac, free download. Okay, good. Look at that. Good. Thank you, guys. All right, I'm <laughs> clicking on the Mac. Maybe it's going to ask me for an address. No, there's a download button. And it's downloading. I'm downloading the Excel Optics Pro 10. I don't know why BNH only had right a boxed now. version, but uh, anyhow, I, maybe it's probably part of the supply chain. They're like, okay, could be because we can't we can't manage inventory on downloads for BNH. We're going to give you boxed versions versions so we can sell them to your so. site and in the store. Yeah, Frederick, yeah. you just said that they're going to give you boxed virgins. I, that's <laughs> that's like. <laughs> <laughs> was that a freudian slip i don't know <laughs> all right it's time to end the show now clearly <laughs> so you'll get my boxed version um all right guys uh my pick what did i have to pick um yeah so my pick was the i'm still experimenting with my new panasonic gx8 which is the camera i'm taking to vietnam with me but my pick is not necessarily that camera. It's a functionality that I, I've never used on any of my Lumix cameras that I'm now using. And that's the custom functions on there or being able to preset the C um, like presets on the camera. So the on the PASM dial, there's C1, C2, and C3. You can essentially set those, preset them to do different things. So my camera, I've got it set on C1 to do video. So if I just turn that dial to C1, it goes into uh, 1080 video. I could have put it in 4K, but I put it in 1080 video. It puts the microphone levels on the screen. It gives me a histogram, all everything to shoot video. It's ready to go. I have to do this press the button by just putting on C1. C2, I have set for HDR. So everything I need, like in terms of bracketing and all that, it's already ready to go. Just press the button and I'm bracketing. And then C3, I set for black and white photography. Um, and Peter Giordano gave me that idea and I set it for black and white. So now I put it on that. My LCD is now black and white and I can concentrate on my subject better, you know, and just kind of do street photography that way. With the GX8, when you put it on black and white, it records the raw file, obviously, in full color. It's it's just raw data, but it generates a JPEG in black and white. So you can kind of get a preview of what it looks like. So that's that feature is kind of cool. It almost makes me feel like I have three different cameras because I'm just, you know, I can just flick and not have to worry about programming the thing every single time and forgetting some setting. I just turn it and keep shooting. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So the custom settings on the Lumix cameras are my pick of the week. I'll, I want to echo something, Frederick, to that, that the custom yeah. settings on just about every camera, like I didn't use mine, like I've got the Canon 1DX that has some similar mm -hmm. functionality, and I think Martin has the same camera. It took me like two years before I ever found a use case for those particular settings. Right, uh, right. And then as soon yeah. as I did, it's like, wh why did I never try to use these before? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> 
Yeah, it was just sitting there taking up real estate, and now I'm using them. So if you have one of these cameras that does that's let let you set custom, I think the reason that I didn't do it was I'm like, okay, I don't feel like good diving through the manual to figure out how to set all this stuff up or whatever. It's brain dead simple. All you have to do is you put it on that mode, like it's C1. You configure the camera how you want, and you go into the menu settings and save it. And now whenever you go back to that that setting everything changes you know you could on the lumix cameras you can even change the the operation of all the function buttons which there are many so like on my camera i'm okay when i'm in c1 this button now activates the wi-fi transfer mode but when i'm in c3 this button activates the wi-fi transfer mode so it's you can get to that level of minutia so i just sat down one night on the couch i was watching what was i watching i don't know heroes or something and watch and i'm just like going through and programming my camera and getting it dialed in perfectly and then once i'm done with that i'm still kind of tweaking things but once i get it perfect i'm gonna you know my backup camera which is a g7 i'm gonna i'm gonna transfer the settings over there i don't know if i can physically transfer them but i'm gonna you know set them up the same way so that my backup camera is the same as my primary so if i have to use it it's all good and i can just keep rolling so yeah it's crazy it's crazy this new technology stuff i think it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna stick around <laughs> <laughs> these new cam newfangled camera things yeah these newfangled cameras kids today all right guys <laughs> let's sign off or run a little bit long this is a good show these all these good shows always run a little bit long martin what's uh what's coming up in your world over the next coming months uh, i i'm uh i'm raring, getting ready now really looking forward to the winter season my japan uh, winter tours are coming up um we actually have we've still got two places the the land the wildlife tours have sold out they've been sold out for a while but we do have two places left open on my uh, January 10th um, Hokkaido landscape tour. This is like Michael Kennerish sort of photography, lots of minimal winter landscapes. So cool. uh, if if anyone's into that, uh, take a look at the uh, – we'll probably put a link in the show notes, but it, it's at mbp.ac slash hlpa for Hokkaido landscape photography adventure. So Say that if, one if more time for the folks that are trying to write it down while they're driving. <laughs> mbp.ac slash hlpa. Excellent. Excellent. Of course, we'll, I'm joking. Don't, don't write that down while you're driving. We'll uh, just come back to the site later and Martin will have a link for it in the show notes. So. Yeah. Cool, Martin. Thank you for that. And thanks for coming on. You're welcome. All right, Mr. Don Komarechka, what's coming up? What's up with you in the next coming week? Uh, well, I'm traveling this weekend to go to Grand Prairie, Alberta, uh, and that's uh, north of Edmonton. So it's uh, fairly fairly snowy, uh, probably. They're hiring me to do a, um, a macro water droplet refraction workshop. And if there's snowflakes oh, out there, nice. then uh, then we will switch gears into snowflakes, although the weather is unpredictable. So that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. That's all sold out. has been for quite some time. Um, I remember you doing a shot like that. Didn't you do? I, I remember two shots of yours like that. One had a Canadian flag in it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And you did one that was like a, a yellow daisy or a Yeah, and you know, it's so fun refracting. when you're doing that kind of stuff because you can put like a flower in behind and it'll refract. A mm -hmm. water droplet, the more spherical it is, it acts like a lens. And so mm -hmm. whatever you put in behind it gets refracted through the droplet. So I put pictures, I put a map of the earth in behind and you actually get the yes, earth inside I the water that. droplet. So there's yeah. so many fun creative ideas that you can have just on your kitchen table in the middle of the wintertime. And so we'll have a lot of fun doing that particular workshop. 
up. And I do those uh, here uh, in my own studio. I've built a purpose-built classroom, uh, and those dates I'll be posting them soon for January and February as well. But the big news um, is I finished with a project that's taken me five years. And what? <laughs> uh, 2,500 hours. Well, you're not talking about your marriage, right? No. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about uh, what started with my my book on snowflakes, and it has uh, it has turned into a giant poster print, and uh, this has about 400 or so snowflakes, all positioned Whoa. in relative size to one another, uh, which means oh, I had to measure every single one of them. Uh, which you might ask, okay, well, how the heck is he actually being accurate with the size? Because the big <laughs> ones are big compared to the small ones being small. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. The Canon MPE 65mm lens that I use to f- uh, photograph all of these records a super secret bit of metadata uh, in an area of the EXIF data called Maker Notes that is called magnification factor. And if you get special software to read that, I can use that with the physical size of the sensor and the number of pixels across it to figure out the number of pixels per millimeter on each snowflake. And I spent the most boring days of my life measuring each and every one of these snowflakes uh, to oh put together my. into this poster project that uh, is, uh, I've just got the quotes in, I've decided on the printer that I'm dealing with, the highest possible end um, printing to do a production run of these. And uh, and so this will be announced within the next week or two. And I will put a link in the show notes for anybody from the TWIP audience that wants to pre-order one. Uh, they'll be able to do that there as well. So Don, I got to have one of those. I got to have one. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I got to have one. So and I don't want you giving me one either. I want to buy right, it. Well, that, thank that, you. Thing, that thing is ridiculous. <laughs> cool. It's awesome. Congratulations. Cool. Man. Thank you. Thank you. So are you are you going to do a blog post or something on on yeah, you know, how you did it? I'll be doing a big announcement. Uh, some of that will be rolled into the product page where people can order it so they can see all the, the interesting details with it. Uh, and with each print, I'll also have a, a special little uh, eight and a half by 11 that you can tuck in the back of the frame that just details the, the yeah. that exact process so that that'll always stay with the artwork as well. All right. Well, I'm customer number one right here. I'm buying one. So <laughs> Thanks, Frederick. Twip Army, Twip Army, fall in line behind me and get yours too. <laughs> so. Cool, guys. Awesome. Very good show. I'm excited. This is a really good show. Um, I think that's it. We're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank our sponsors. That was lynda.com, FreshBooks, and iFi for their support of the show. And I'll put links to Martin and Don's online presences in the notes. You guys can follow them. Of course, you know where they are already. They've been on the show, what, nine trillion times. So you know how to catch up with them. And, uh, you know, the same with This Week in Photo. We're at thisweekinphoto.com. You know where to find us. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. and Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.